0: everyone welcome back to the podcast. Today is a happy day because I am at home after spending 2 weeks on the road and I am so so happy to be back and what a more fitting way to be back into everyday life than to get to sit and have this conversation with Bronwyn Leah. I, as you'll hear in the episode, heard about her, knew of her, was listening to words that she was speaking and writing long before I got to actually have an introduction to her. She is brilliant. She is an author and a speaker, and she is just a woman who is so kind and generous and sharp, and I know that you're going to fall in love with her very quickly because Today, we're talking about all things relationships. We're talking about family and cross-cultural, church, your next-door neighbors. We're talking all things people and relationships, which couldn't feel more fitting for this podcast. I found out about Branch Basics from one of my best friends who has been slowly incorporating cleaner products into her home. Every time we would go over to Lindsay's for dinner, she would be cleaning up, and I would ask her, what smells so fresh? What was she using? And she said that it was Branch Basics. And what I love about these products is that they're human-safe, non-toxic, and free of fragrance and hormone disruptors and harmful preservatives. So they're even safe to use around Scout and Trooper or if you have kids in your home. And I love that because I can feel good about the products that we're using to clean our kitchen or that we're using around our home that we're breathing in, that we're eating off of these surfaces or preparing food off of these surfaces. I know that it's not filled with harmful chemicals, Plus, the products are actually incredible. I went on a bit of a cleaning spree around our house this weekend, and I carried my little Branch Basics bottles around with me to every single room. We have the starter kit, which came with one concentrate and multiple refillable bottles for different uses. And the beauty is, once you run out, you have everything you need to refill your spray bottle, and you have a whole other set to work with. It's perfect for spring cleaning. So visit branchbasics.com and use promo code Nikki Dutton for 15% off of all starter kits except the trial kit. Again, that's B-R-A-N-C-H-B-A-S-I-C-S.com and use promo code N-I-K-K-I-D-U-T-T-O-N. No spaces for 15% off of your starter kit. Bronwyn, we've been talking for a couple minutes already. I've learned new things about you today that maybe we'll share, maybe we won't, but I would love if you would tell us who you are and what you do and just kind of what life looks like in this season.
1: Oh, thanks so much for having me, Nikki. Um, So I um, live in Northern California where I am a part-time pastor in my local church and I, um, also work with Propel Woman where I'm an editor and a leadership coach for women in ministry. So wear those three hats, which I really love. Um, but I would say my main responsibility in life is that I am the mother to three teens and tweens who keep me laughing and on my knees because there is three more children than I am equipped to handle. And, um, my husband and I um, love them, love them, love having a home <laughs> and a life with them, uh, but it is a lot. They yes. are extra anyway. <laughs> and <laughs> so that's all all good. And you can hear from my accent that although I live in Northern California, I'm not originally from here. I am from South Africa. Yes. So that's where the the sound comes from if you were struggling to place it.
0: Yes, I love it. I have um, a really close friend who I met through A21. Her name is Shannon Johnson. She's amazing and I'm hoping to have her on soon. And she has this recurring joke on her Instagram of where people think she's from based on her accent. And they'll tell her like, oh, I knew you were from the UK or I knew you were from South London or something. And she's like, sure, that's fine.
1: (laughs) I've had people argue with me about where I'm from.
0: And you're like, well, I, <laughs> I do kind of know my background <laughs> fairly well. I'm like, no, no, your accent is like a New Zealand accent. I'm like, really?
1: You're
0: like, hmm, okay. fascinating. Well, <laughs> okay, tell me more about South Africa. So like I said, I have my friend, Shannon. I've learned so much about what she appreciates about that being her home. And so I'd love to know from you, how has it affected you? And what do you feel like you carry on even now that you're in Northern California?
1: Oh, that's such a lovely and generous question. Um, Okay. So what it means to be South African is very time sensitive. Mm. Okay. So the age that you grew up in very much has colored uh, one's formative experiences because the country has changed so much in the last 30, 40 years. And so I was born in the seventies, was at school through the worst of the apartheid Mm. eighties. And during that time um, had a progressive thinking mom who put me in Catholic school because it was multicultural and only Mm -hmm. private schools could have mixed races. Mm. Um, And then in the nineties, went to law school and seminary right when the new South Africa was being born. So it was a super exciting time to be both a Christian and a law student because who else gets a whole constitution written (laughs) while they are at law school in real time. So like my, my growing up, like really did coincide with some very formative times in in South Africa. And it has given me a great love for the diversity. Um, I think it has had to teach me a humility about feeling like I understood the landscape because we just need to re-examine our own stories again and again. Um, Like the version of what is actually true about South Africa is different how I would tell it when it was 15, even growing up in a progressive household and different to how I would have told you It was when I was 20 in law school and then different to how I would have told that story when I was 25 and in seminary and we were kind Mm. of doing a gospel-centered racial reconciliation. Mm. So I'm really grateful for the lens that that storied history has brought. You know, for a country that has 11 official languages, there is just a huge amount of contextual richness and um, cultural beauty um, ha- having said that, it's a very complicated country with some mm. very deep problems. And um, and so now living in the States, I am um, both grateful for the background and also grateful to be in a space where uh, struggling against crime and eating is not my everyday experience, which yeah. it still is for lots of South Africans. So it's a very mm-hmm. complex answer. Mm-hmm. Maybe more yeah. than you were wondering.
0: <laughs> no, no. And it's it's right on with what my friend Shannon shares a lot, that it, it's really this dichotomy of the both. Like it's so beautiful, even physically and locationally. She was like, it is so beautiful. Just you have these steep mountains on one side, this gorgeous water. The people are so beautiful. And then there's also so very real struggle and there's very real issues that are still going on. And not to mention all of us have our own personal stories and histories and families that are also folded into that. And so I do know it's a complex answer, but I actually am really grateful for that because I think that it helps anyone who's meeting you for the first time just to get a better idea of what you are like and kind of what colors your background. So I think that's beautiful.
1: Wow, thanks. <laughs>
0: yeah, of course. And the accent doesn't hu- doesn't hurt either. I mean, it is kind of nice. It's, it's such a smooth accent. And, you know, a lot of the guests that have been on the podcast so far are from somewhere here in the U.S. And so there's a little bit of tweaks and twangs here and there, but there's nothing like the South African accent, I don't think. so.
1: <laughs> well, I like to say, well, thank you. I've been practicing it my whole life.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you feel like you've lost any of it since you've been in the States? I have lost state? some
1: of it. Um, Mm -hmm. And particularly in inflection, Mm
0: -hmm. you know,
1: like there's um, bits where Americans Mm -hmm. go up at the end of sentences Mm -hmm. and you don't in South Africa. And so some of that changes just because you want to be understood. And then there are a couple of words which I feel like no matter which context I'm in, I'm in, I'm now an equal opportunity offended to say them wrong. Like I cannot remember if it's garage or garage. They both sound wrong to me now. Um, so.
0: You can't win or lose either way. I, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and I, so I first heard about you because I was a volunteer with Propel Women. It was four years ago now and you were already so involved. And so there were articles and there was relationship and there were books and there were all of these things that were kind of bubbling at this time. And so being on the volunteer side of things, I heard about you, watched you, listened to you long before I got to meet you. And so I know that words have been a big part of your life. How did you find yourself in a space where, like I said, I think that you have mentioned that you view uh, kind of the online world as your virtual living room. Has it always felt that way? Like, where did this come from? (laughs) Were you just, you know, thinking one day I've got something I want to say and you just shared it. What did that story look like?
1: Oh goodness. That is not my story where I was like, (laughs) I have something to say and oh my goodness, one day I want to be an author. They say that there are um, speakers who write and writers, who speak. Mm. And I am very definitely in the right. Um, in the speakers who write category. Mm. I never mm. had an ambition to be an author or a writer. That wasn't something I saw in myself, but I did post um, law school, thought that I was going to be an advocate. I, mm-hmm. I saw myself speaking up for justice as my vocation um, and then went to seminary and felt called to teach and you know, and particularly I wanted to teach and disciple women. And so I did that post-grad school um, and then kind of got effectively benched in my 30s. My visa situation in the States was such that I couldn't legally work anymore. I had a dependent visa on my husband. Um, on my husband. And so there was a 10 year period, pretty much from around my 30th birthday until my 40th, where I couldn't legally work for hire. And we had our kids in that period as well. And so I found myself a stay at home mom uh, because I had to be
0: legally. (laughs) Yeah. Um, It wasn't even your intention or your choice.
1: Yeah. yeah, That was just how it worked out. But as it is, Mm -hmm. I needed to be there. I mean, financially, we couldn't afford to do anything Mm -hmm. different. Um, And we wanted to be there as well. But I missed doing ministry. And so this was kind of at the advent of the blog uh,
0: space. I heard someone say the other day, is blog even a thing No, anymore? I don't Is think, that a word? Yeah, no, but back then it was everything. It was, it was
1: everything. Yeah. And it was a way that I felt like I could continue to do ministry in my pajamas while I was nursing. Right. So the conversations that I used to have with college students in my home, um, I could write some of those things out. Mm-hmm. And writing was kind of born out of a, a way to do ministry um you know, for free, privately, but yeah. that was how it felt. Yeah. It felt like instead of taking people out for coffee or inviting small groups, there was a way of doing that online. And I could offer um, hospitality and welcome and authentic conversation about life and faith mm-hmm. and practice and ethics and all of the things that I used to talk about, I could write about. And so, mm-hmm. um, Uh, This was kind of before Instagram and um, a bunch of social media things were there, but it had that feel to me that I was the same person in those spaces that I would have been embodied in ministry. Um, And that helped one set the tone for me, but also it set some of the boundaries about what it was that I was trying to do. So my family wasn't there on show, I wasn't trying to build a platform, um, but I did want to be faithful to the conversations and the people that were showing up at my doorstep, whether it was virtual or not.
0: Well, and I I think I have a big question I'm going to toss your way. Having that law background, but also that seminary background, um, and like you said, just being faithful to speak in the moment, in the ways that are most authentic to you, that can still feel so scary because you don't want to say the wrong thing or you don't want to speak to something. And then, I mean, now I think that's even bigger. You have people who are waiting in the wings to just tear down whatever you say, no matter how much you've thought about it. Was that a fear or because your background was so much in that justice, equally justice Mm -hmm. and ministry, did that come pretty naturally to you? Or have you ever wrestled with that of like releasing these thoughts into the world and then just waiting to see how the world responds?
1: Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, I think I've always been a truth teller. Mm-hmm. I have always been someone who says what I think is right. Um, but I'm also someone who can be sensitive to pushback and feedback. So have mm-hmm. I received, you know, feedback on certain things? Yes. You know, at some <laughs> at some point in my writing journey, doors opened up and I was a Huffington Post contributor for a while. Oh, wow. And I did wow. write a couple of pieces that were sort of faith-based mm-hmm. um, Ethics and justice pieces. Yes. I wrote about yes. immigration. I wrote about mm. my experience as a white South African reckoning with mm. racism and appealing to white American believers to say, "Hey, this was my reckoning with privilege mm. as a believer. Mm. What might this look like for you?" Woo! And there were some comments. Like <laughs> I remember <laughs> calling my mom and saying, "Mom, do not read the comments. Do like, not, read, do read, the not comments. read the comments. No, you know." So that that's always shaking. But mm-hmm. also if something is true, it needs to be said. And there's part of me that has just sort of some prophetic conviction yes. that things mm-hmm. need to be said. Yes. And if no one else is going to say them, and I have this burning sense that they're mind to say that I've needed to do that. Yeah. Have I had a fear of speaking up? No, not a fear per se, but I do think there've been times where it has seemed not wise to say something right now. So when we mm-hmm. were in the process of going through um, becoming green card holders and permanent Mm. residents in the States. My husband was like, I think during this process, it would be wise for you to take down your discussions on immigration. Interesting. Because it's a very public space and online conversation feels vindictive and this might not be wise for our family. And so that wasn't so much fear-based as just trying to be wise to the moment. Wisdom
0: and discernment. And Mm -hmm. I think that's the difference. I like that you're kind of setting it up that way, that there is a difference from acting and reacting out of fear and acting out of discernment. And discernment can sometimes be to hold back, but discernment can also be in some places to say, I'm going to speak this, even if my mom can't read the comments. (laughs) That's right. You know, and
1: I'll say also that I am writing so much less now, Mm -hmm. uh, which is partially because I feel called to other things and partially because I think blogging is just not a thing.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: but also because I've stepped back into vocational ministry mm-hmm. and for the sake of my local church, I, and because I love the people that I live actually close to, I don't want to expose them to an internet's worth of fire. Yeah. So there's some yeah. conversations that maybe 10 years ago I would have on the internet, that these days it's too costly to yes. my actual co-workers in the mm-hmm. gospel to do it that. Is. So I just don't. Not that I don't have thoughts. It just doesn't seem to serve kingdom work to do that now.
0: That makes sense. And I think that's also a good litmus check of like you said, building a platform versus being obedient to a word that the Lord is giving you. And that's kind of leaning into that prophetic gift of knowing the when, the where, and the how of how to release these things. And so sometimes those might be conversations for um, like you mentioned, like a retreat or like when you're in a room versus um, just releasing it into the world on Instagram or an article and just waiting (laughs) to see what happens.
1: I think that's so true. And honestly, the more famous people and the more famous Christians I meet, the more I think, God bless you, I don't want that.
0: I feel that as well. Yeah, I... Yes, we've both had um, access to different people and have and have even just gotten to watch some of my favorite authors and speakers and just seeing the what they have to navigate on a daily basis because their audience is very different than my audience. The people who listen to this podcast primarily know me and they know my heart and they know what I'm like in everyday life. And so even if I say something that maybe comes a little out of turn, there's a little bit more grace there versus someone across the world who hasn't met me at all and can assume a lot of things about my intentions and I mean that kind of makes me think too like you had talked about family earlier and you said you have three teens and tweens which Mm -hmm. God bless you. God bless you <laughs> and your home in Jesus name. <laughs> Thank you. I received that. We need it. But um. also, I I know you've done a lot of study on how family can extend beyond the people who we share a last name with or who we share four walls with. So, can you introduce us to some of the things that you've learned about what family can how family can be identified and what that has looked like for you and your family?
1: Oh, this is one of my favorite topics. Absolutely, yes. Um, I am not saying anything new here. I did not make this up. This is not (laughs) a construct that I, you know, sort of am putting forth as novel. I discovered that embedded throughout all of scripture is the idea that the people of God are the family of God. Mm. And it's there in the verbs, in the, you know, in the nouns, in the description that we are the people of God, that he relates to us as our father, that we relate to him as his children. That's family language. Mm. How we become, you know, part of his tribe is by adoption, <laughs> which is, you know, full on family right. Right. Um, initiation. And um, if, you know, two complete strangers are adopted by the same dad, that makes them siblings. Mm. And the way the whole New Testament describes our relationship with one another is as, I mean, the old translations all say brothers, but in Greek, it's Adelphoi, which is siblings, the brothers and sisters of God. It's actually a gender neutral term. And that idea that all of the epistles are addressed to the brothers and sisters of God is a, was a radical paradigm shift for me of thinking, oh my goodness, I live in a world where people think that when we say family, they think, you know, mom, dad, two and a quarter kids, and a dog if you live in the West.
0: I saw you had a cat too. I so have a cat too. the cat too. gets included, yes. So,
1: I mean, we all serve the cat. I don't know what it is with <laughs> cats. Um, but that idea that that God says we are his family and we will be for eternity, and what we're doing mm-hmm. in the church is basically practicing, <laughs> like getting getting to know our adopted brothers and sisters because we're going to spend a lifetime as siblings in the Father's presence, Mm -hmm. you know, like even if you change churches, they're still your brothers and sisters in Christ. So you may as well play nice in the church because the, you know, the giant eternal family reunion is coming. I could see that all over scripture. And Mm -hmm. we experienced this firsthand when we came to the States and none of our blood family lived here. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And so we needed- Yeah, what
0: did that look like for you guys? We
1: needed the church to be Mm -hmm. the family of God to us. And so we uh, received and accepted the love of people who stood as our mothers and fathers and who invited us around for Thanksgiving and Christmas and who prayed with us when we were a newly married couple and were having spats and needed (laughs) mentoring. And our church family were the people who threw us baby showers and who brought us meals, you know. Because our family lives 10,000 miles away. And so we experienced some of that goodness and we continue to think this is what it means to live this out. We want to express that goodness, that we are, you know, a little part of a very broad family of God, both in the, um, you know, the little sea church in our local church, but in the big sea church. And it has been transformative
0: mm-hmm. for the way
1: we view our marriage, for the way we invite people into our home, for the way we parent. Um because we realize it's just really not about us. We're a dot. Yeah. We're a dot in a in a beautiful pointillism landscape that the spirit is painting.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and I have heard this as well. It, forgive me if it's in your book and I'm not attributing it to you, because <laughs> it might be. But I had heard that... Um, even in the u s, the the idea of a nuclear family really formed during a certain time in history um where there was kind of this push truthfully for products, serving mm-hmm. products to mm-hmm. a family and kind of dwindling down those barriers and those boundaries of what a family is identified as, so that then the home was set up in a particular way, or um, time was set up in a particular way, or consumerism. And I, I think, that that is very interesting because in my lifetime, I'm 31 years old, that's all I've ever known. I was in a family, mom, dad, me, my sister, and we moved a ton growing up. And so we were similar where we were thousands of miles from any family, anyone who looked like me, talked like me, shared a last name or any DNA. And so in a lot of ways, it was just our family of four that we're kind of finding our way in the world. But then along the way, you start to pick up these other people who we would call them like my Uncle Jim. We share no DNA with Uncle Jim, but he is family to us. Mm -hmm. And when I came into the church when I was an early teenager, um, that was a new kind of place for me to wrap my mind around because I had not ever known church to be family or I had never known Christianity to be a family. And even now, having been been reading the Bible for over a decade. I still, you're talking about those epistles being addressed to brothers and sisters. I just blow past it. I just don't even mm-hmm. think about it. And so I, I do feel like this is pretty revolutionary. And I would love to know how did that practically shift the way that you and your family do your life, set up your home, plan your schedule? How does that look on a day-to-day and weekly basis?
1: Wow. Um, you know, I think there's so many truths in scripture that we spend our lifetime learning to live into. Like if mm-hmm. <laughs> we can know that we are the adopted children of God and it's a huge battle to live as a son and not a slave, right? Yeah. And similarly, I think we are in a lifetime discipline discipline of learning to live as the the adopted children of God together. You know, yes. so so learning that scripture addresses not just you personally, but all y'all to use the South, like all the <laughs> yes. yous in the New Testament <laughs> are plural yous. They're mm-hmm. all, all y'all. And what a difference that makes to like, not just me, me Bronwyn must put on the armor of God, but you all together put the armor of God it shapes our discipleship practices and mm-hmm. our prayer, right? In, and how we do those things together. So as a nuclear family, um, I think that that means that we have realized, oh, let me start with my marriage and build out of there. Yeah. So Christopher Ashe's book, Married for God was really the clue in to me to making the shift. But I realized we have grown up in this Western world where we, um, we believe we're one another's lobsters and, you know, you will meet somebody else <laughs> and, Music will probably play in the background <laughs> and you will look <laughs> towards one another and all answers will be met as you gaze into one another's yeah, is faces. Is that not what
0: happened for you guys? It just hasn't not. happened for us yet. It is but not. we're hoping it will. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: Well, but the whole model is right, like that you're going to be face to face intimate, and that, that marriage mm-hmm. at its best is this, you know, face to face intimacy. And the invitation from um, Christopher Ash was to say if you look at the witness of scripture, marriage is about you being side by side with someone, face towards the world and the purposes of God. And just that little mental shift of us, oh, I'm not there for him. We together are here for you and for the world. Mm-hmm has very much changed the way that we approach marriage and our home, because it's not about us. And and Ash was saying in his book that even having children is an outward facing expression of, you know, personal intimacy. You end up having other people to take care of like, all the time. It's our first experiment in living an outwardly fruitful life. And so in our parenting and whatnot, we also want to be doing life alongside our children, not just being in a huddle, facing one another, alongside one another to be um, world-facing. Now, not everybody in my house is an extrovert. I want to say that I there are two out of the five of us who are extroverts and uh, I have extreme introverts in <laughs> <laughs> the other three. Always happier in the corner with a book. Mm. Having said that, we still understand our home to be a place that we want to welcome others into. And when we go out, we want to be there for other people. So Mm -hmm. from a young age, we've encouraged our kids in a way that is in accordance with their personality and their gifts to try and be of service to one another. Yeah. So my eldest uh, is really great with kids and she is helping take care of another family and the church's kids. Mm -hmm. My youngest who is a complete ham and was basically born with jazz hands. He's such an extrovert. (laughs) He is the one who bakes uh, cookies for neighbors. Oh my gosh, this kid once when he was little, I had him on the back of the bike and we're biking down, downtown and he yells at a community playground in the middle of town come and play at my house I live at blah 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 and like gave our address <laughs> like, and that's, like, that's too much hospitality <laughs> like, can, 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 we don't know these people that's too much <laughs> I mean I invite strangers in all the yes. time but maybe don't yell it from the back of the bike yes. right so that's his comfort level he's always inviting people to join us for Thanksgiving he's inviting kids home from class because he knows that's how we use our home yeah. right? We want people in whatever way is authentic mm. to our personalities and their comfort level for them to, to taste and see the goodness of God through their welcome to us. And we're not a perfect mm. family um, by any stretch of the imagination, but God shows his kindness to us. And I hope that as people are invited into our life, that they taste and see a little bit of God's kindness to them too.
0: Yeah, it sounds like your family, especially your children, know that they have permission to operate in this way. Um, They have permission to make those invitations or even... For your daughter, that you said is very good with kids, that she feels autonomy in seeking out opportunities. Or when someone asks her, I mean, of course, I'm sure she works that out with you guys, logistics and everything, but it feels like there's an empowerment then to move in their lives, whether at 16, 15, 14, 13, whatever, and to move in a way that would serve the kingdom and to know that they're going to have mom and dad supporting them and saying, Yes, we would love to come alongside you and help you do this. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I think that's a very countercultural way to live as a teenager. That's very uncommon (laughs) (laughs) to live not like with a mirror in front of your face, just constantly. And I mean, maybe it's not a a literal mirror, but even our cell phones, like just being this constant mirror of like myself, myself, myself. Mm -hmm. I bet that there's relief that they find in being able to just live life a little bit. I'm not saying they're perfect, Mm -hmm. but a little bit um, looking to the interest of others. And it makes me think too, because I have a lot of friends who are married, some who have kids, some who don't. Um, And then I have a lot of friends who are still single and we're in our thirties and they are still single. And so I wonder how you've seen this affect um, individuals in your life who are single or Mm -hmm. individuals who might find themselves without a unit. Maybe they don't have roommates or something like that, Mm -hmm. or their family lives far away. What have you seen in that way?
1: Um, We, because we have been the recipients of radical welcome of people treating us as their family, um, we want to live the same way. So we have the funnest Thanksgiving table uh, we always have the waifs and strays. We, <laughs> we invite, you know, last year we had people from Japan, Ukraine, <laughs> we had uh, someone from Guatemala, just people who wouldn't have had somewhere to go. And we cook the ridiculous turkey. And, of course. And we just enjoy that kind of thing together. We also, among that crowd, have a single mom and her son who spend pretty much every holiday with us now um, because they're our church family. And, you know, she can't be with her parents on Christian Mm -hmm. holidays because she was radically saved, Mm -hmm. you know, out of that background. And so we are her Christian family for the holidays. So she's our automatic plus one and her son automatic plus two. And then we pick up all the waifs and strays. And I think... You know, the first year we, we had to be very intentional and specific about that invitation and maybe the second year as well. At this point, we have a reputation for it. So we don't have to work that
0: hard. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at this point, you're probably just getting knocks on the door. So well, people know that this sometimes. is the home. Someone took down the address when your That's son right. yelled it years ago. And they were like, oh, this is the house. This yeah. is where you can go. <laughs> so let
1: me give you an example of this. You know, when we, when we remodeled our house, we have enough rooms in our house for each of our children to have their own bedroom, but we have chosen to have our boys share their whole life so that we would have a room available for guests. So that was both a remodeling choice and there's an allocation of space because we want to have that available. And that's a family value that translated into how we, you know, the rooms. Having said that, we have invited a bunch of people to come and stay. If you need a respite, if you need a night over, we keep extending it. And because uh, often people are not used to that, they don't believe us. But over time, we've gotten a reputation, right? So much so that last year, a friend invi- called us up and she said, Oh, I know of a family that are evacuating Ukraine. There are five of them. Do you think you could take them in for one to three months? And I was like, Oh,
0: okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're starting to work out the air mattresses. That's and more the people beds.
1: <laughs> and longer than we usually have guests for. Mm-hmm. But then, mm-hmm. because it has been part of our family value, and not every family is able to do this, but because this is a way that we feel God has particularly called us to do ministry, um, we we talked about it. What would it look like for this to work? for our kids. Cause I don't want to impose this on my children. They're teenagers. Right. They have homework. My introverts need their quiet time. Yes. So we had a long conversation about, should we say yes to this? And if we said yes to this, what did that look like? So we could make it sustainable and doable mm-hmm. for them. Mm-hmm. And where would they rest? And did they have to, you know, have their like guest hospitality cap on all the yes. time, or would it be okay yes. for them to excuse themselves from dinner? So there was some intentional conversation that went into um, how we could make that work in a way that was sustainable for our family. And I was super proud of them um, for showing up. We had this like internal sense that we needed to say yes, but we really did want to wrestle with our kids about how to make that happen.
0: Were you guys able to invite that family to stay? They lived with us for three months. No way. And what was it like?
1: (laughs) Uh, We all grew. (laughs) (laughs)
0: sure yeah i am sure i'm sure they grew too i don't
1: think living with us is the easiest thing we have a whole lot of stuff to deal with turns out i have opinions about things that my family is used to and that might be shocking for other people but we would in in hindsight we were grateful to be able to do that you know like we were in an age Mm -hmm. where people were wringing our hands and saying what could we do what could we do what can we do about this terrible situation beyond prayer And here was an opportunity where God said, well, you could do this. And we were like, well, how can we say no? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, like that's kind of what we had to do. So we made some new friends and they ended up bringing their au pair over who landed Ah. up meeting her husband in my living room at the young adult small group. And I officiated (laughs) their wedding in January. So like, there's just cool stuff that happens (laughs) when you say yes to neighbouring.
0: That is crazy. That is crazy that it led to a literal wedding, a literal wedding from this whole thing. Yes. (laughs) That is crazy. Well, okay. On the opposite side of that spectrum, I guess thinking about people who feel displaced or who feel other, or who maybe feel very lonely, they're hearing you and I talk about opening our homes. They're hearing us talk about family and friends and the church. Maybe it's someone who was a part of a church and did not have a family experience. Mm. They had a very ostracizing experience. What would you say to someone who feels like that, or they resonate with that loneliness and that displacement more than they do that welcome and family? Oh,
1: I mean, the first thing I want to say is come over for dinner and we'll talk about it. Like. <laughs>
0: who knows you might meet your husband (laughs) who knows it sounds like that's the living room to be
1: (laughs) I met my husband through a random act of hospitality I heard that there was a Mm. new guy in town and I invited this new person to join a barbecue and he turned up on my doorstep and Rita I married him um Mm. so (laughs) you never know I'm I'm no longer in the market for meeting new husbands on my front door however
0: um, however
1: (laughs) however there um oh man loneliness is such a real thing yeah I think it always has been and and COVID really amplified um, our need for that. And so we've learned so much, right, from social scientists about how the actual fabric of our network of relationships work, that we need like immediate people and then we need like second circle people. And then there's just the familiar faces of, you know, the people at the grocery store or the crossing yep. guard, you know, that you see on the way and mm. you miss those people when you don't see them. And there can be such acute Loneliness that we experience. And it's worse in church, I think, when you feel like you're supposed to belong, but you're lonely. What I would want to say is that I think that there's a mindset shift um, that needs to happen or that has happened in me. I think it is very, very common for us to feel I am lonely. I'm lonely in my marriage or I'm lonely in my church or I'm lonely in my friend group. I am lonely. And you are scary, whoever you are. You seem to be all together. I don't know how to start a conversation. I am lonely, you and you are scary. But if we can flip the pronouns in that and say, you are lonely, because we actually know now that people are experiencing this, and to you, I am scary. That does a lot to help me uh, grow in my compassion and to better see myself. And to better see others because I'm viewing others now not as people who are scary and just waiting to reject me. I realize, oh, this person actually might be threatened by me. I might be scary to them in their loneliness. And that gives me some kind of internal internal push of one, how can I seem less scary to them? Like, how can I uh smile or um make some look up, look up. Like I realize how often in our loneliness we look at the ground we look down and to the world that communicates that we're not available for relationship, right? So even that bit of just looking up so that other people realize we're available and we're doing a better job of seeing people in that loneliness is a huge internal shift that I think Mm. um, goes some way towards it. So I think my big, if I could say one thing about loneliness, it would be this, is realize that other people are lonely too and you are part of what they need.
0: Fig and Loom is near and dear to my heart. If you don't know, Fig and Loom sells stunning Turkish rugs that are each individually named after babies whose lives here on earth were cut far too short, but their memory and their legacy live on, like Scott and I's Hosanna. Friends of ours actually bought the rug that was named for Hosanna for us for Christmas, and it is gorgeous and undoubtedly the thing in our home, the piece that means the most to me. These rugs are hand-knotted. They're woven by women who really pour their hopes and their dreams, their celebration and their despair into the colors and patterns that they weave. And these rugs are designed to be passed down for years to come so the stories can continue to be told generation for generations. These are truly incredible heirlooms to add to your family. And the founder and my friend, Kelly Strife, was on the podcast back in the fall, and it's one of my all-time favorite episodes. And keep in mind, when you purchase textiles from Fig and Loom, you can actually get 15% off of anything with the code more with Nikki. So no spaces, more with Nikki if you want to get 15% off of your first purchase and see something that you would like to add to your home. I cannot express enough how gorgeous these rugs are and just how much they mean to the moms and the dads who are behind the names that these rugs are named for. So you can find them at figandloom.co and you can also find them at figandloom.co on Instagram, like I said, and use promo code MORE with Nikki to get 15% off of your first order. I think that we can resonate in a deep way. There's just so much loneliness um, Mm. post COVID. And, And I appreciate that you pointed out that loneliness is not simply isolation, or it's not just singleness, or it's not just um, feeling other, feeling ostracized. Loneliness can happen in a crowd, and loneliness can happen in a church. Loneliness can happen in a community, on a college campus. I mean, I went to— a massive massive college and there were thousands of people around me at all times but there were seasons of my college experience where I did feel very lonely and I just felt unknown I felt like even though I was surrounded by people nobody knew me they didn't speak to me they didn't know my name or my story or they didn't know me well enough to know the inflections of when oh she seems off today or she seems like something might be on her mind you know and so I think that that's a very very good reminder um and I I mean, I think for the person who is feeling lonely today, I think that there's also just a little bit of hope cast out there, that there are people, um, and I know you're saying your family is not perfect, but there are people who do want to know you and do want to know you intimately, to know your thoughts, to know when you're having a bad day and it doesn't feel like a burden and it doesn't feel annoying and it doesn't feel whatever. Even if, like you said, you have a whole family living with your family and there's some brushing happening, there's some like stepping on toes, that doesn't negate the the fact that you want to know those people.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, my coworker, um, Peter, oh, he's so good at this. Um, He uh, keeps on training and encouraging us in developing the skills of middle talk, like not surface, hey, how are you wearing? Okay. So so not surface, like, how are you? What's your major? Where are you from? And obviously not, what are the deep pains in your life? (laughs) Because you wouldn't (laughs) ask a stranger that. (laughs) But practicing a level of, between that, a middle level mm-hmm. of engaging people with questions that, um, that are, you could ask a stranger, but reveal more about them than just, um, like resume information. Right. Yeah. So for example, and, and they can be really fun. So for example, here's a big one to ask, what's the best meal you've eaten this week? Hmm. Right. Cause that doesn't just tell me you know, what you ate, there's a little bit of personal preference or people might tell you, uh, you know, a restaurant that they went to or an experiment that went bad. Like you actually get to tell a story about the other person and they're interesting. Like those are interesting things to hear. And, um, we realize, oh, you know, like this person is interesting to me and maybe I'm interesting to them. And so practicing some middle talk conversations that invite people to tell us a story that's easily accessible, you know, What's, what's been giving you joy today? What do you do for fun apart from your job? It's such a different question to what do you do for work?
0: Right, right. Yeah. Hmm. Um, I mean, that, that even makes me think of how we start off these episodes. It starts so much with just the tactics, which it is. It's like, okay, you don't know this person, so you're meeting them for the first time. So it's helpful to know. This is Bronwyn. She's from South Africa. She currently lives in Northern California, mm-hmm. and she has a cat that the world revolves around and also it's a true. family there too. <laughs> so it's <laughs> helpful to know those things, but who knows, maybe there's some fun intros. And I think that's a very practical thing that anyone listening can take away from this. I will too, of even tonight when I'm gathering with my friends, uh, instead of just, Asking a blanket question, how was your day or how was your week? Um, Asking a more specific question to get to know a part of their last seven days that maybe I wouldn't know otherwise if I just Mm -hmm. wasn't using language to point in that direction. And I think, too, a lot of what you've said over the last 40 minutes is that there's a self awareness piece to it as well. Um, And there is a humility as well to understand when we've blocked ourselves off, when we've become really insulated and maybe our body language is very down. Our eyes are down and we're just focused on what we're doing and our family and just keeping these mouths fed and alive and the house from being on fire. (laughs) You know, there are seasons Mm. of that for sure. But it sounds like it's helpful to, to have scripture serving as that indicator for us of just a reminder that like you said we are such a small piece of a much larger puzzle and when we can really wrap our minds around that not as that we're insignificant but that we are shoulder to shoulder with other Christians with other families with other Mm. nations then that that changes the way that you're postured that changes the way that you're open and available for other people so I think that that makes a lot of sense to me as well Oh, it's so good. Yeah. You should have Peter on as a guest. Have him talk about I was thinking middle, that. I know. I'm gonna get his talk. information after this. <laughs> yes. We could I just want to have him on and learn all of those things. So yes, for sure we'll have Peter on.
1: Yeah. And, I'm always and, wanting and, to and, like and, observe him.
0: <laughs> yes. Well, good. Then I want to spend 45 minutes with him if he will have me. So that sounds amazing. Okay, in these last couple minutes, I want to ask one more question, kind of a different um, facet of what we've been talking about. Can you speak to me... Actually, I might ask you two questions because there's more I want to know from you. But can you speak to me first about neighbors and loving your neighbor as yourself, your physical, literal next door neighbor, and not just the person around you? Um, Have you learned anything about that that's been specific?
1: Oh, goodness. Loving your actual neighbor. Yeah, it's so interesting to me that people, when they're looking at houses, like describe the you know, what's on the countertops and how many bathrooms it has. And actually the texture of their life is going to be much more impacted by the people next door. So I'm Mm -hmm. like, you should walk the neighborhood before you buy your house because (laughs) these are the people that Jesus has called you to specifically Mm -hmm. love. And of course, some neighbors are easier to live next door to than others. I live in a college town. And so our entire time, pretty much that we've lived here, we have lived next door to college students who deserve the reputation often that they have for partying and life with solo cups. We've lived next to a frat house. We've lived next to like the water polo player team. Now we, we currently live next to a house full of baseball players. Um, okay. And, um, they party loud and late and in California with increasing amounts of weed. Uh, but we have done our best to invite those boys or, and Currently, it's boys, but it used to be a house of girls. Over at least once to have them over for dinner because we want to know their names at the very least. Yeah. We want to know their names. Um, on the other side of us is a retired couple who've been church-going their entire life. Those are kind of like the easy people to yes. <laughs> <at this laughs> right? yeah. um, But we have gotten to know our over-the-road neighbours. We have an annual block party that the city invites any anybody to host, and we are because Jesus told us to prioritize this, um, we, we try and host that and to be outdoors um, hmm. because we can't really love people whose names we don't even know. And right. it, ta- it has taken a number of casual, just hellos, how are yous, before we can go any deeper. So I would want to say about neighboring that obedience to Jesus means we do actually need to love our literal neighbor, which means you actually need to introduce yourself. Or look for opportunities to do that. And I think it takes multiple exposures to do that. So go to the neighborhood gathering, go to the neighborhood Mm -hmm. meeting. Um, If you can, you know, move towards front porch living, if you can, Mm -hmm. um, instead of backyard living, Um, just because multiple, if you have a dog, walk your dog, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, and talk to the people (laughs) on the street. Um, Don't walk your cat. That's a bad example. People think Um, that's weird.
0: Yeah. (laughs) They will say, let's not talk to that person.
1: (laughs) Yeah. But I would say that um, our journey towards loving our neighbors had to begin with just getting to know them. Mm. Just being available. And now a couple of years in, we've built some trust.
0: Yes. Yeah, that makes sense to me. We had a similar experience where when my husband Scott and I moved to a condo building in Atlanta, um, just kind of through those interactions, you're in a condo building. So just to get to your car, you're crossing people's front doors and such. And so you're just kind of rubbing up against people more than you might in like a neighborhood with a garage. Mm -hmm. And we fell in love with our neighbors. We loved them so much. And to the point where I knew if anything ever happened, I could knock on any door and say, I need help. Can you help me? And it even grew from that into friendships. And just recently, my sister was looking. We've now moved out of that condo to a city an hour and a half um, further south. And when my sister was looking for a place to live, we... Um, Texted those neighbors and said, Do you know of anything open in this area? Just because we loved it so much. And one of them actually had an available unit. She was moving out. And so we moved my sister into that building. And she texted me the other day and she was like, So and so and so and so are in my living room. This is crazy. I can't oh, believe so cool. they're sitting with me. And so, and I think that the faith from all of those people is at a variety of places, Mm -hmm. but it was just such a special, special community. And now to get to have my sister there. And now when we go back, we get to see them again. It's just so, so fun. So I can advocate that it's actually worth it. It's a little scary and awkward at first, but then it's worth it.
1: (laughs) Oh, totally. It's worth it. And I'll just uh, give a shout out to um, one of my friends. I have learned so much from her example They moved to a house that was a better size for their growing family. They'd Mm -hmm. had three Mm -hmm. more kids from the time when they'd bought the house and needed to move out, but she grieved over leaving her neighbors because they'd been block partying. And she prayed over selling their house, that God would bring someone into the house who would be a blessing to her neighbors Mm -hmm. and they would be a blessing to her. And I thought, I've never heard anybody pray that before, but I love it and I'm learning from that example.
0: Oh, that's beautiful. That is so beautiful. And I said that I had one more question that came to the top of my mind, which it's, we're not going to even do it justice in the last two minutes, But it's okay because maybe it will give people an appetite to go want to find more. (laughs) So you have a book that I I read. And when I was a Propel, Propel volunteer, I got to help kind of promote and put some things together for it. And it's called Beyond Awkward Side Hugs. And so it's talking about this tension that can exist in faith communities, but also just kind of in just the cultural conversation at this time. Can you just give us a brief synopsis of what that book is about? And then maybe that will crack the door so that others will want to step through and kind of read it more because it's so good. And even the title itself, you're like, I've had that. (laughs) So many of those awkward (laughs) (laughs) synopsis.
1: Yeah, they're a real thing. It's funny, people who've seen the title of my book, like you can pick the Christians out of a crowd because they cackle when they read it. Like (laughs) non-church people are like, I don't understand. The title of the screenbook, and you're like, yeah, we're weird. We Don't have problems. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, we live in a world which is um, both very excited about and very anxious about male-female interaction. You know, on the one hand, it's like the premise of our love stories and our books, and on the other hand, we're just afraid that um, adultery or whatever will rip a church apart, that there will be exploitation and abuse. So um, that that presumption that it's either the best or the worst of times is actually something that happens in the church. And I think it gets in the way of us living as the family of God. Because if I view all the men around me as either a dating pool when I'm single or as a potential temptation towards (laughs) adultery, how can I just love them as my brother, right? Mm -hmm. And if people are looking at my husband as, you know, a threat or a predator, how can they you know, receive hospitality from him? Or how can he offer a hug to my friend who's had a miscarriage?
0: Yeah.
1: Um, when he also has experienced miscarriage, like he actually yeah. has support to give. Um, yeah. And so the book is an exploration of what it means practically for us to think about being friends and siblings in Christ in a way that um, both identifies and therefore um, demystifies and takes the power out of that fear of being in a sex craze culture so that we can do better. So we can um, love one another well, you know?
0: <laughs> yes. Yes. And I, I think like you said, the Christians cackle when they hear the title because it's <laughs> resonates. But also I think as as we've navigated life, we've been in similar situations where um some of my greatest friends right now are some of the men that are in our life. And some of my husband's like just most beneficial relationships right now are with some of the women that are in those friend groups and they have various levels and, context and histories and um it has only made our life richer. It has made mm. our life so much more rich. That's so, wonderful.
1: We need to yes. hear stories like that because it helps like de-escalate the fear. Yeah. So <laughs> yes. The first half of the book is kind of like the theology of how this is possible. And then there's different chapters on what does this mean for your marriage? What does this mean for parenting? What does this mean for dating? What does yes. this mean for friendships? And then tries to address some of the but but what about all the scary stories kind of stuff so that we yeah. can be both wise and free.
0: Absolutely absolutely and if that's not the best trailer to go get the book yourself then <laughs> I don't know what is and so I'll have it linked in this episode so people can join it and can get their own copy but I just appreciate you Bronwyn I told you I just was looking forward to getting time with you personally and I'm grateful that it worked out to where it was a podcast episode but I just really appreciate your voice in the heart with which you put things forward so thank you for everything and for your time today I really appreciate
1: Thanks, it Nikki this was super fun Pleasure.
0: Bronwyn's book is called Beyond Awkward Side Hugs Living as Christian Brothers and Sisters in a Sex Crazed World. You can find a link to that in the episode description. You can also see more of Bronwyn in a lot of different areas through PropelWomen.org She is currently a Propel Ecclesia coach. If you don't know what Propel Ecclesia is, I'm including a little description for that below. But that is geared towards women in ministry. Happy to answer any questions you have about that. And then Like most days and most people, you can find Bronwyn on Instagram as well. So I've included that in the links below. And yeah, I think you're gonna love her. And I know if you're anything like me, you want to keep this relationship going with Bronwyn. And so those are some good ways to do that. And otherwise, I hope you have an incredible rest of your day. And I'm excited to be back with you guys next week.